0: Now the scripture passage that we're going to be looking at today comes from the gospel according to Matthew This is chapter 16 verses 13 to 20 now, Before we read this, let's pause for a moment in prayer Good and Heavenly Father We thank you for your gifts, Lord, for your guidance, Lord We thank you for the word that you have given us Lord, we thank you for the word that is written in all the world around us lord in the earth and the wind and the stars above we thank you for the word that dwells in our hearts we thank you for the word spoken and given by your holy spirit and we thank you for this word lord written recorded and preserved for us to read that we might know your good and perfect will father bless us as we approach this word today lord bless these holy words and this holy reading And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back in the uh, 1980s and 90s, a group of scholars got together, called themselves the Jesus Seminar. Now, I know some, to some of you, 1980s and 90s is a long, long time away, but let me guarantee you it wasn't, okay? It's only about five years ago. Tops. Ten tops, Yeah. Back in the 80s and 90s, this group of scholars called the Jesus Seminar got together, and what they were going to do, they were going to get together, and they were going to figure out who the real Jesus was. They were were on this quest for the historical Jesus, and they were going to cut through the myth. They were going to cut through the legend. They were going to cut through the elaborations and the traditions and all the things that they had believed had added over the time, and they were going to get the real Jesus. All right, no messing around. Okay, no legends, no confabulations or wild stories. We're going to figure out who this real Jesus is. Or so they said. It wasn't long after the Jesus Seminar started publishing some of their, uh, some of their findings, and I use that in a loose term, it wasn't long after that that they came under some heavy criticism. Because what the Jesus Seminar ended up doing was taking a lot of the things out of the Gospels. They took out the miracles. They took out the healings. They took out the walking on the water. They took out the virgin birth. They even took out the resurrection. See, in their minds, what they said they were going back to the real historical sources. In their minds, they had this idea that that there was this this older Jesus, this real Jesus, before they created these stories about him, and they were going to find some gospel that preserved this older tradition without all the miracles. They never found that, by the way. They kind of invented some some mythical gospel called the Gospel of Q that had none of the miracles in there. But they didn't actually find any historical basis for denying any of the miracles or even the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they dismissed them all the same. And the reason why they dismissed all those miracles is they said they were just too, um, too miraculous, just too hard to believe. And so the Jesus that the Jesus Seminar came up with is not the Jesus that most of us would recognize today. The Jesus they had was a teacher, the teacher they saw was a preacher, he was a prophet, he was a visionary, but more than that, he was a revolutionary and he was a social justice warrior, he was a table turner and a convention defier. In fact, they found a lot of things they could call Jesus, but what they didn't find was the Messiah. What they didn't find was the Son of God, and what they didn't find was Jesus as the Christ. Now, the Jesus Seminar was not the first group of people to try to find the real Jesus to try to cut through the myth and legend and find the real historical Jesus. They're not the first and they're not the last to try to do something like this. But what they were really trying to do was answer a question that Jesus asked his disciples 2,000 years ago. Who do you say that I am? 2,000 years ago he asked that question. I don't think there's ever been a question that has caused so much discussion, so much argument, so much fight, so much wondering for such a long time. 2,000 years ago, Jesus threw that bomb out to us, and we're still arguing over it, and we're still discussing it, and we're still trying to find the answer to that. Who do you say that I am? This is not just a question for scholars. Scholars. Not just a question for historians or any analyst of the Bible. It's a story for. It's a question for us. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And this is a right question for us to ask. It's maybe the most important question we can ask, and it's right because Jesus asked us. He asked his disciples, and he asks us still, every one of you. He still asks, who do you say? That I am actually it started with who do other people say that I am the whole the whole conversation began when Jesus and his disciples were on the way to a place called Caesarea Philippi and Jesus asked him so who do people say that I am so what's the buzz about me what have you heard anybody have you heard what are people saying about me and the disciples answered him well we've heard some people say Elijah some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah or another prophet. Now, I want to point out when they say, some say you are John the Baptist, they don't think that Jesus was reincarnated as John the Baptist or reincarnated as Elijah. They were saying that you're coming in the form of Elijah. You're coming in the form of John the Baptist. You're like John the Baptist. You're like Jeremiah. It's kind of like when we see a good running back and we can say, oh man, he's just like George Rogers or he's another George Rogers, you know. Oh, man, we could use another George Rogers. <laughs> use one back. All right, we're not going to talk about that. But we... Not from you. Definitely not from you. No. <laughs> but, you know, when we say that, we don't mean that George Rogers has been born again or he's the new Ernest Hemingway. He was Ernest Hemingway born again. He's like him. He's in the fashion of him. So when they said, who do they say that I am? You're Elijah or John the Baptist. You're like this person we came before. You're like one of these prophets and all of them identified him as one of the prophets and what they were doing was identifying Jesus in a way that they could already understand they were putting him and comparing him to something that they had past experience with and something they knew something that was familiar so they could understand Jesus better in their minds okay we've seen prophets before we know what prophets do They've always been active in Israel. They speak to us. They speak the Word of God. So we know prophets. And Jesus, he looks just like a prophet. He does miraculous things. He speaks by the authority of God. So yeah, okay, Jesus, you seem like a prophet. And that's a very human thing to do. Try to understand something in terms of what we've experienced before. To identify something new by comparing it to what has come before us. And that's exactly what people were doing with Jesus. I know what a prophet is and you look kind of like a prophet. So I guess Jesus you're a new prophet. The problem was Jesus was not something the world had ever seen before this jesus was not someone that could fit into any past category or past understanding because this jesus was something new something they had never seen something they had never experienced this was the inbreaking of god into the world on a level that the world had never experienced and has not experienced since so they really couldn't get a handle on who this jesus was the real question though was for the disciples Jesus didn't didn't really he didn't really care what other people thought about him. He wanted to know what his disciples thought about him. And that's where the question was leading him. Okay, that's what they say, but who do you say that I am? I want to know what you think. You are my most trusted. You are my inner circle. You are my disciples. Who do you say that I am? We don't know what the other disciples thought. Their answers not recorded in the gospels for us. But we do know Peter's the only one that had the right answer. He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter had the answer right. The only one that knew it. Christ, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the word Christ just means anointed. It's a Hebrew word for anointed. He was saying, You are the anointed. Now, if you don't know what anointed means, anointed is if you are blessed, set aside, and empowered for a special purpose, usually a divine purpose. God chooses you, blesses you, sets you aside, and then gives you the power for a special divine purpose. That's what anointing is. In the Middle Ages, they used to anoint kings because they believed they'd been set aside by God. They would empower them to be godly kings. So to be be anointed, there you're set aside and you're blessed for this divine purpose. And then God sprinkles you and anoints you with his divine power to fulfill the task that he's giving you. But when he said, Jesus, you are the Christ, he's not just saying you are a Christ, you are the Christ. You're not just any anointed, you're not just unanointed, you are the anointed one. And then this is the purpose of God that has been laid out before the foundation of the earth. This was not just any purpose, this was just the purpose. The divine plan, that's who Christ was anointed as. The son of the living God. The savior of the world. The most anointed of all the anointed. The anointing to end all other anointings. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Now Peter here had just figured out who Jesus was. And this was a big deal. Okay, He was was the first one. And this was a bigger deal than Peter realized. He didn't know exactly what he had walked into. And Jesus told him, he said, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This was only by the Spirit of my Father in heaven. Flesh and blood could not have told you what you just said. And what he meant by that was like the normal process of thinking and evaluating and human reasoning could not have come up with that answer. No matter how smart Peter could or wasn't or how smart we are, he could not have come up with that answer all by himself. He couldn't have thought his way there. He couldn't have reasoned his way there. He couldn't have analyzed his way there. He couldn't have even studied all the scriptures and come up with the answer that Jesus was the Christ. Because Jesus told him this is not natural origin. What you've just said has supernatural origin, Peter. Only my Father in heaven could have told you that. There's no way you could have gotten that answer by yourself. Only God could have revealed and told you such a profound secret. The message for us is we can't know Christ by our own reasoning. We can't figure out who Christ is on our own. That is something that has to be told to us by God. That is something that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that is the problem with the Jesus Seminar or any other, the, the, any other quest for the historical Jesus. Okay, that's all human reasoning, human attempts, human science, human scholarship, trying to figure out what only the Spirit of God can tell us. And if you're trying to figure it out through the methods of flesh and blood, you will never find the Christ. You will find a teacher. You will find a revolutionary. You will find a reformer. But you'll never find Christ. If you use human beings, in fact, you're going to find exactly what you want to find. You're going to find the Jesus that you want to find. You'll be like all those others when Jesus said, who do they say that I am? That fit him into categories that they were already familiar with. By our own means and methods, we're just going to fit Jesus into a category that we already understand. But Jesus doesn't fit into any of our categories. He's something new, something that we have never known apart from himself. What we need to remember is that if we insist on trying to know Jesus on on our terms and our understanding, we're never going to know him for who he is. I want you to remember that, Okay remember nothing else I say today if we try to understand Jesus on our terms and our understanding we will never know him for who he is and we will never know him as the Christ And the reason why Peter understood is he was willing to see Jesus on Jesus's terms not on Peters and if you want to understand Christ you have to understand him on his terms not yours what that means is you have to put aside what you think is possible you have to put aside on your expectations of what you think Jesus is and who you think he ought to be and how you think he should act and how you think he should interact with your life and especially you need to put aside what you think Jesus already expects of you how far can we really know him if we've already decided who he is if we've already made up our mind about Jesus. How can we ever know him? That's the Christ. So, who do you say Jesus is? Like I said, it's not a question you can figure out on your own. You see, Peter was willing to put himself aside. He was willing to put his expectation aside. And God showed him exactly who Jesus was, exactly the answer to that question. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. One word. One name he uttered, Christ. And he unlocked something powerful. He unlocked something powerful, that powerful name, that name of Christ. He just revealed a secret of God, which is why Jesus told him not to tell anything, not to tell anyone. Peter, you don't know what you've just unlocked. That's powerful stuff here. The world is not ready for it yet. Gentlemen, keep this to yourselves for the time being. he just uttered a powerful name. It's a powerful name indeed if it's backed by faith the name of Christ. It can't just be said by anyone. It needs to be said in faith. It needs to be believed in faith. And if it is, there is tremendous power in that name. Now, it's not a magic word, right? You can't just say the word Christ and expect miraculous things to happen. But if you believe in the name of Christ, then you can expect miraculous things to happen. Because this is indeed a powerful name. How powerful is this name, you might ask? This is what Jesus tells Peter when he reveals the name. He says, I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Friends, that is a powerful name. I mean, it's so powerful, he says, that has the power to found and and establish your faith. That name becomes a rock for us. For when we know that name, when we know Jesus as the Christ, he becomes the rock. And that is the beginning of our faith, to know him as the Christ, as the Savior, as the anointed of God. It becomes the bedrock upon which we build our faith. But it's even more powerful than that. It's it's, it's not just any rock. It's the rock upon which he builds the church. It is the name of Christ that builds the church. It is the name of Christ that unites us together. Here, Here in this building, but also with all believers of all time, of all place. Believers that came before us and believers that will come after us. That's how powerful the name is. It made the church and makes it still. But it's actually even more powerful than that. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That's how powerful this name is, is that even the gates of hell cannot conquer this name, nor can it conquer you when you trust in it. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Anything the world can do cannot prevail against you. Anything evil can throw against you, even Satan himself, whatever he throws against you, you can endure and prevail if you trust in this name. That's how powerful it is. It's even more powerful than that. Jesus says, I will give you the gates of the kingdom of heaven. That's how powerful this name is. It unlocks the gates of heaven. For when we trust and we believe in that name, and we know him as our Christ, as our Savior, as our Messiah, that opens eternity to all of us. That's a powerful name. opens the gates of heaven. But it's even more powerful than that. Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The name of Christ has the power to bind and has the power to loose. It binds us together as one body. It can also loose things. It can also give us freedom. The power of freedom and liberation. The name of Christ has the power to give you freedom from sin. It has the power to give you freedom from evil. The name of Christ has the power to free you from bad habits and addiction and depression and lies. The name of Christ has the power to release you from deceit. It can free you from past mistakes. It has the power to free you from fear and even death itself. That is a powerful name. The name of Christ. But it's not the word. The word doesn't do anything. Saying the word, making that noise with your mouth does nothing at all. But believing in the word. Believing in Jesus as the Christ. That can do all things. It's a simple question he has for us. Who do you say that I am? Not just a question for disciples. Those original 12 is a question for all believers. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is He just a teacher? A prophet? An exorcist? An activist? Is He just a really swell guy? The answer is going to depend on you. Do you want the Jesus that you can fit into a box of your understanding? Do you want a Jesus you can tie up really easily so he doesn't mess with your life too much? Or are you ready to know him as he is? Would you prefer to keep Jesus on your terms? Or are you ready to know him on his terms? Do you want him to just stay Jesus to you? or are you ready to know him as the Christ may seem like just a name but there's a power to this name this is the name that can bind and loose this is the name that is the everlasting rock this is the name that can conquer hell this is the name that unlocks the gates of heaven it's not a name known by any flesh and blood But it's a name known to all of those who will listen to the Spirit of God. It is a name known all to those that are ready to open their eyes, who are ready to open their hearts. It's a name known to every single person who is ready to know Jesus as the Christ. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.